0: continuing on, so the blood covered, it did not remove the sin nature or actually the the sin that was committed, but God had a plan from the beginning and he's going to use the law to teach and tutor and then He eventually at the end he's going to bring the new covenant and Christ and he's going to take care of these things literally he's not going to cover sin, he's going to remove it, the law could not do that, okay so ritual sacrifice and commands, they helped. And they kept these things and did them right and got forgiveness. Then the blood covered their sins. Otherwise, their sin wasn't covered. They died. They would not die in the covenant. Like Paul said, you're circumcised and you don't keep the law. It's counted as uncircumcision. See, there's no loopholes. There's no wiggling around or anything like this. Okay. So we see it in verse 6. Now he's talking again to the Jewish Christian, and he's talking about them being a Christian. He said, but now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound. The Christ's body judged sin and death. He judged the law of sin and death, original sin. He judged all of that. And he says, so that we, what, we Jewish Christians, we're Christians now. We're not under that law of Ceremonies in the Old Testament, no justification by the law. He said, Now we can serve the Lord so that we can serve the Lord in newness of spirit. What is that? Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ is that spirit. He is the Holy Spirit dwelling us as the helper. Right before he died, he told the disciples, I've been with you, but I shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. So he claimed to be the spirit. And Paul makes it plain. He said, uh, "The Lord is that Spirit. What Spirit? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jehovah. He's one with the Godhead." So he said, "I'm with you." So he was limited in his humanity, in his human nature. He did not walk around as God doing miracles on his own. He did everything by the Holy Spirit's indwelling and yielding. That's why he was baptized in all His Spirit. If he did everything on his own, he didn't need to be baptized of the Holy Spirit. But he had to act as a man. And Philippians tells us he emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? Either Godhead permanently for a while or the use of Godhead. But other times he was tempted. He implied that he could release himself. But he did say on the cross, he didn't say I could do it on my own. Well, before he went there. And when they were telling him to come down and everything, he could have prayed and 10,000 angels would have come. But he didn't say, I could do it on my own, because he was confined in the human body. And the glory had not been returned to him until he ascended. And then the glory of the Godhead was returned to him. So people like to, well, he did it because he was God. No, he didn't. That's a lie. He did it as a son of man. He did it as a man, a perfect man that not sin, that yielded to God. And that's what he had to do. He had to do it for humanity because humanity could not do it. And so we see this. We serve the Lord in newness of spirit. That's walking in the spirit, living in the spirit, and not in the oldness of the letter. The letter of the law killeth. It tells you how to live. It tells you what's right and wrong, but it cannot empower you. And because you don't do it, it has to judge. See, it brings forth God's holiness and justice. So, it did not have that power, and that's why the covenant was made obsolete, and it was not intended to be permanent, and it was imperfect. It could not do what it should have done, but God didn't want it to at that time. So, he dealt with man at a lower level. Even the Gentiles, some of them were righteous and lived before the Lord. The scripture says he winked at their ignorance. He did the same with the Jew. Cornelius was not a Jew. He was a Gentile, and the angel said, God's taking notice of your good deeds and your life. And he didn't call him a dirty old sinner. He said, now he's going to tell you what you should do. He gave him the full gospel. That man was more righteous than most Jews were. And he lived morally upright. He believed in the supreme being. But he did not convert to Judaism. He was not a proselyte, but he helped a lot of them. He did good. And the angel commended him and said, what you're doing and all these good deeds to people, he said, is come up before God. Well, he wasn't born again. He wasn't a true Jew. And God considered him a righteous man, like he did Job and others that lived right, righteously. Melchizedek, many others. And they were not under the law, but they obeyed the law of their conscience. They followed their conscience. And so God accepted that. But once he was given the gospel, if he rejected it, then he wouldn't have been accepted by God anymore. But immediately, Peter goes, preach to him, he gets saved in his household of 12, and they're not only saved, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit immediately. See, they were already in good standing as far as the light they understood. And they were living a good, morally, upright life. But he knew they still have sin and original nature in them. And Paul's going to argue that point because it happened to him. And he was a Jew of Jew. And yet he still had the conflict of sin that he could not be delivered from. So he'll tell us about that later. So we're not bound by rules that cannot deliver. And that's why we're delivered from rituals and sacrifice and ceremonies. But we're not delivered from the moral concepts like the Ten Commandments. A Christian keeps all Ten Commandments, and even the Seventh Commandment, it says the Christian, it's an eternal. We're living in the Sabbath. He said, we have the rest. It ain't a day. Many Christians think, oh, God replaced the Saturday to Sunday for the Christmas. Oh, nonsense. Even though the early church gathered on the first, they didn't make it a special day the command, He said, as often as you gather together. He didn't say when you had to gather. Uh-huh. But we keep it by walking in the Spirit. We cease from our labors, as God did from his. See, he created the world in six days, that he worked. And then he rested. And so that's why he told the Jews they had to keep a Sabbath, to remember all of this, and to concentrate on spiritual things, and he made it holy. But to the Christian, every day is the same. He's to walk in holiness and newness of life. He's not bound to any day, month, any moon, any festival, any sacrifice, any ritual. He's not bound to. See, Because he's in a spiritual realm. And so he has rest. People are not in Christ. The Jews and other people, the Sabbath may haunt them one day. Now, see, the Sabbath was made for Jewish people. It basically was not made for Gentiles. But they observed it at times when they knew. But it wasn't a legal bondage on them. Okay, Again, they were walking in a lesser knowledge and light, so God didn't require certain things of them. Number six, like I said, we do not walk in the old. We have the Holy Spirit. And so we're newness. Our spirit joins with him, okay? And then we consent to keep walking with him, or we can consent to stop doing it, see? The will transcends the spirit of man and the fleshly. It can concede to whatever it wants. That's the free moral agency that God gives to people. And all of the encouragements and exhortation of New Testament uh, talking to Christians always appeals to their will. Now, you do this, and you don't do that, and you they have to consent. You put on the armor of Christ. Well, if you don't, it ain't going to work. But he says, you have to put it on, okay? Seven, verse seven. What shall we say? Is the law sin? See, because the law magnifies sin. It makes us see how corrupt we are. It stirs the old man up further. He says, so it's sinful, And he's going to tell us, he'll make it clearer later, it's not, it's holy and it's just. He said, what shall I say then? Is the law sin? And he says, may it never be. The old King James Law says, God forbid. Uses the same term, Paul says, because you're under grace, can you continue in sin? He says, God forbid. That's a good thing for the greasy graces, and the once saved, always saved. He said, God forbid. And he explains why it can't be done. He said, because you're under grace, you're obeying righteousness. Aha. He nails them. You're not obeying righteousness, you're not under grace. You got a lip service religion, you ain't got nothing. Because grace gives strength to obey righteousness. And if you don't, you're not a Christian. Aha. And you have to exercise your will. And you have to choose to obey. You're under the law of Christ. And Jesus said, don't call me Lord, Lord. That's what he implies if you don't do what I tell you. uh huh. If you don't bite in me, I'm not yours. He's not interested in people's lip service. I would have not known sin except through the law. So he's saying it's good. It exposed the sin. I had ignorant sins. I had sins I forgot about. And nevertheless, death is the consequences. So God's going to do something about it if you'll fall in line with him. He said, because one day, every idle word that a man speaks, he's going to give an account of. So God don't forget nothing. His holiness and justice can't just say, oh, I'll just forget it. Uh-uh. Somewhere, someplace, it has to be dealt with. And it was dealt with on the cross. Okay? So he said, I would not have known sin except the law. Then he goes to this one that I like, Christians, they never think about it, but it's a deadly sin. He said, I would not have known about coveting, some translate, lust, if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So when people think about lust, most of them think of sexual. That's just one form. There's covetousness of money. The love of money is a lust. There's the lust for power and recognition and attention these are all forms of law. They are desires beyond what's permitted. And Paul makes it plain. A covetous person's not going to make it to heaven, okay? You can call it prosperity all you want. It ain't gonna change God's opinion. Okay. So he says, he quoted, he said, The law told you this. When you didn't know that, you may have felt a little strange and but you excuse what you were doing. And you were gathering and keeping up with the Joneses and trying to get their money and everything else. He said, You were in covetousness. And that's why he said, Do not covet your neighbors anything. I mean, you can desire some things within law, but he said, You don't look at your neighbor and want what he's got. Envy and jealousy, that's what it leads to. Okay? So, William the O. The law was not sin but it revealed sin and so he's telling you the law is good it's the sinner that's not good okay the law points out sin it does not produce it it reveals sinfulness and a lot of people don't understand it and it produces light to them John the Baptist said he came and brought light into darkness see the people, some of them he preached to, they didn't know they were that deep in sin. They didn't know they were that bad. They were trying to do good, some of them, a lot of them. and But he wanted to reveal to them, this is why you need a savior. And this is why the law cannot do this. And you need to get out of this. So that's what he's telling them. So it was to magnify their guilt and show them how sinful it was to God. And God has not changed. So he sees it clearly. He doesn't play it down. He doesn't excuse it. And he doesn't really forget it. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit convicts a person and they turn to the all of a sudden, they really understand that they're a sinner. They understand that. They get the light. And before, they didn't have it that way. And then they get disturbed. And what can I do about it? And then it tells them all they can do is come to Christ. He's the only one who can deal with it. So the Lord uses the portion of the law, which is his word anyway, to convict people of sin before they can get saved. He judges them by the law and exposes them. And then he offers them a way out. The law couldn't do that, okay? It could not do that. But the law is good in revealing, but it cannot empower. So that was why it was an imperfect covenant. So he uses lust here, coveting, desire for things beyond what is lawful and good. Well, another way you can describe it is, and Christians are guilty of it sometimes, and they need to, it's discontent. Jesus and Paul, they to be content with such things you have. Well, people who are seeking prosperity, materialism, and everything in this world, and that reveals they're not content, are they? He said, you trust God in providence, and he'll change things. And we can ask and pray for certain things, and the Lord can say yes or no. That's his right. Uh But see, a lot of people are not content, because they're still, in the selfish nature, they're still walking by that covetous nature, See, and it needs to be revealed to them. Well, the prosperity people are deceived and on the way to hell as a whole, the same as the once-saved-always-saved people are. See, They believe in a lie, and when you resist the Holy Spirit and his word, he gives you over the lying spirits, and you will be damned. He tells us that. That's a consequence of the spiritual kingdom. That's one of its rules. You resist the spirit, he'll resist you eventually. Grace will say, that's enough. Now i have to deal with it. Okay? So don't be often reproved, as scripture says, because you'll be cut off and there won't be no remedy if you keep rebelling when the Lord's trying to deal with you, okay, so he uses the word lust. He says it is covetousness, and so we say many people caught up in that false doctrine by the law, the spirit convicts and reveals the law is just and holy, it's a part of what He wanted. There was nothing wrong with it. The problem was the sinner, okay but it was limited in what he could do. God gave lesser covenants. He wouldn't do certain things. Jesus preached to the cities, and they were wicked of the towns, and he rebuked them, and he said, Sodom and Gomorrah will do better at the day of judgment. You will. They thought of the old that Sodom and Gomorrah was the worst state of man, and God destroyed him with fire. So he implied to these cities, you're going to get a worse judgment. He said, if I had preached in Sodom this, they would have repented a long time ago. But see, that kind of grace was not given. It was not required. They rejected their conscience and morality and every, and God held them accountable. But he said, if I extended to them, they would have repented. And so he was telling the Pharisees and scribes, you're going to a greater hell if you don't repent. You're going to answer for a lot more, and you think Sodom and Gomorrah is so bad. Oh, you're going to bypass them going down to hell, and they'll be waving at you. Uh So you're going to get a lot worse than they get. Okay. He says, the hypocrites shall receive the greater damnation. Well, many of the Pharisees and scribes were hypocrites, too. Not all of them, but they were a lot of religious hypocrites, and they coveted people's money. And they robbed the widows for their money and they talked them. They'd say long prayers to make them feel good and, and talk the people and leaving their money to them in the temple. It was covetousness. And that's why Jesus kicked the tables over and said, You made my father's house a den of thieves. They would sell the doves and the sacrifice and charge them more money, and they had to buy it from the temple era. They couldn't just buy any, oh no, it had to be approved by the priests. And you've got to pay the priests, and sometimes he had to give exorbitant prices and make money. So you can see why he had a plan to send them to hell one day. He said, you're thieves. Okay? So we see that the law is used by the Spirit. He's the Spirit of holiness, and the law is holy and good, and he's righteous and good. It's a reflection of him. Okay? Now you look at Ephesians 5 before we go on. many Christians who read that? But see, they don't study what really covetousness means. It's greed. It's wanting something or excessive something to satisfy the old nature. It's discontent. And people that are given over to the money, they're not satisfied with one million. Now they got to go for two. You know, you think they'd get satisfied? Well, they're not. See, because it's a part of their wicked nature, and they keep doing it. So you go from sin to sin. They grow in their sin. Sin binds you and takes you further and further. So people become alcoholics and they're drunkards. You can claim a disease all you want, but it didn't start off a disease. And I'll talk about that in a minute. They say, well, they have a propensity for it. Oh, well, that's tough. We have a fallen nature. We have a propensity for anything. And we magnify certain sins more than others. That'll excuse them. They think that excuse them well they're sick, well, they're sick because they sinned, they got syphilis and gonorrhea and because they were sexually permissive, oh sure, they're sin, I mean they're sick, but they're sinful too, and that's the consequences on their body and soul. A person keeps sinning, his spirit reaps his thoughts to be deceived, and demons can trick him because he don't have the spirit of truth in him, okay, so it says a consequence. Okay, we'll look at Ephesians, chapter 5, verse 5. I love it again, Paul, when he says, for know this, or you know this, or this is a fact, is what he's telling us. No fornicator or unclean person, and they're the sexual perversions he's speaking of, anything with people out of the marriage bond is what he's talking about. He said, nor covetous person, a covetous man, and then he makes it clear, for he is an idolatrous. He calls a covetous prosperity person. He's saying, you're a covetous, you're an idolatra. You worship money. You don't worship God. Oh, you give him lip service, but money's your power. You want money, and you want power. And what does he say there? has any inheritance, that unclean, fornicating, covetous person has no place in the kingdom of Christ or God, in the present or in the future. So he makes it so plain. And then just to add to this, so you'll understand what he's saying, the next verse says, and no one deceive you, don't no one lie to you with empty words. It has no substance with scripture. But because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. And he says, don't be that. So he's trying to tell the luxury-seeking ultra-prosperity people, you're being deceived. You think this is God's blessing, it's your curse. He said, you're worshiping the creation more than the creator. That's where the sin lies. So many fall for that trap. And it's because they want to, and they don't want the truth. People are not deceived. I just keep telling us, only by two reasons. They're living in sin, or they don't want the truth. That's why they're deceived, okay? So, verse 8, but he said, sin, the principle of sin in us, the fallen nature and its desires, it take an opportunity through the commandment. It'll use the commandment to make him feel real guilty, and it wants to demand justice immediately, is what it wants. It's corrupt, it's a murderer, it's a sin principle. So it produces in me more coveting of every kind, it says. For apart from the law, a sin is dead. Okay, so we're seeing that. So we say, What? He sums it up that the sin principle, the drawing, he says the a murderer and a destroyer. And the devil and the demons instigate it and they help it along a little bit. Christian has the Holy Spirit to help. The wicked have the devil to help them where they want or not. They're trying to lure them into deeper sins and more kind, con- because they know the wages one day will be death for them. So we read that. And the law tells the truth and it condemns the sinner. Uh and so even the devil will try to use it. He's the accuser of the brethren. He loves to find faults, and if he's right, and sometimes he is, he wants God to do something about it, and God, one day he's going to do it anyway, but he makes provision, he tells them to repent, and do this and that, and the devil don't like that. He wants them to judge them because he hates people like he hates God. And he pretty well knows what's what's gonna to happen to him one day. Yeah. he to find out law's gonna have judged him already. Okay. So the old nature, it stays, and if it's practiced, it gives death. Okay. Now in Genesis, God did not honor Cain's offering. There's two reasons. Many think it's because he didn't offer blood like Abel. That may have been the reason. And if it was given and he didn't do it, then he was rebellious. He was offering his own way of worship, and God don't accept that. Uh Or something was wrong with his conduct, and even if the grain had been accepted, if it had been in the right spirit, he wasn't. So either way, he got angry because God didn't accept his offering. Scripture says God detests the offerings of the wicked, okay? The sacrifices of the wicked, the Bible says, that are abomination. He don't want it. They insult God. They try to buy him off. Many people try to ease their conscience. They live wicked lives, and they know they live wicked lives, but every now and then they'll do something good and think it's going to measure against them and help them. It's not going to, okay? So he was jealous of Abel because Abel was accepted. His sacrifice was acceptable, and his heart was acceptable. See, they go together. So sin, if not dealt with, goes from strength to strength. Like the person walks in the Lord, he can go from strength to strength. He's given more grace. Well, the person doesn't deal with the temptations of sin. He can get stronger and stronger until he performs something that he was just thinking about. That's the temptation. And before he murdered, and he did murder, and actually Jesus, well, we'll get to that in a minute, he told the Pharisees that they were like their father, the devil, and he was a murderer in the beginning. He got Cain to murder his brothers. So the devil was accused of it too. He was the instigator in it. And Cain fell for it, okay? Same as Eve fell for the trick. So look at Genesis chapter 4. Verse 7. This is the Lord speaking to him when he's angry and his sacrifice has been rejected for either the type of or the heart was wrong. And the Lord says to him, if you do well, will you not be accepted? So he's asking him a question. And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. Okay? And its desire is for you. It speaks of sin almost as a person. Well, it is. The evil spirit's instigating it at times. He said he's laying there. like It's implied, if you study what it really means, it means it's like a wild animal waiting to pounce on you. But you should rule over it. And he used principles. Man was supposed to rule over the animal kingdom. So he's saying, you're a man. And if you're a godly man, you rule. You subdue them. And so even under the law, and before the law, and even with a man's sinful nature, God told Cain he could do it. And these people said, well, we are totally depraved. I said, if you're totally depraved, you're a demon, and you're not savable. I said, no, even wicked people. According to the law and God's exact rules and regulations, Job would not have been a righteous man, nor Abraham. We made allowance for them. They tried to live right, and he accepted that. And even in the New Testament, Peter said when he went to preach to Cornelius, he says, "Now I see that if a man worketh righteousness in any nation, he's accepted by God." Well, Cornelius was working righteousness and moral right, and God accepted it. And then he had him showed him how to get saved and come to the Lord. He didn't call him a wicked sinner; that he was righteous in his light that he had, and in his mind, he wanted to serve them. And Paul was doing the same. He was a Jew of Jew, yet he was murdering the saints in his ignorance. See, the sin was blinding him, and he was having the trouble with this because he was deceived, and he thought Jesus was a false prophet, and he was doing what the law required. But see, he was ignorant of certain things, and it blinded him to certain things. That's why the Lord appeared to him, he had to explain some things to him real quickly, okay? So he says, its desire, what? Sin is for you. What was that sin? Your desire, its desire is for you to murder and hate. And he picked it up. The Lord already knew that he was jealous of his brother's offering, and he may have already read the thought in Cain's mind of thinking about murdering his brother. So he's giving him a warning, and he said, rule it. Put it down. He was capable to do it. See, a lot of people all just said, can't do nothing. I said, that's a bunch of hogwash. I said, they don't want him to do nothing. They want Jesus to be all grace and faith so they can live in sin the rest of their life. They want to give the glory to the Lord. Well, they're going to hell and they're going to a deeper hell. Okay? There's rank and file in hell, it's punishments. Okay? And so, what does he say? Sin lies at your door. It's waiting to pounce on you. It's like a beast. And it was the devil. He was saying, murder your brother, kill him. You hate him. He kept giving these little suggestions to him. I can understand Abel. He's so good and righteous. And the Lord likes him. He don't like me. I am will fix this situation. So the devil knew how to work on him. But he didn't have to yield. And Jesus told the Pharisees, when he argued with them, he said, you're like your father, the devil. He said, he was a murderer, and you're trying to murder me, and you'll murder me. they did. So the devil, he he said, he was a murderer from the beginning. Not while he was in heaven, he meant the beginning of mankind. He instigated Cain to murder his brother. He was held accountable too. The devil and Cain were murderers. okay? But he said, you don't have to give in to it. Now, why would God tell him that? Why would he make fun of him and say, well, you have to... I'm going to tell you, you can't do it anyway, but don't do it. He would talk out of both sides. He gave them abilities to do certain things, even in a sinful state, and they could do it and not do it. But he'd inquire all to perfection from people. And under law, he held them less. A lot of things were wicked in their heart, and they would meditate it. He wouldn't judge it until it was exposed. Now, it says he's called all men everywhere to repent. He holds the Christian responsible for their thoughts. He said, Many of you commit adultery in your heart. Oh, you've never committed it outwardly. But as far as the Lord's concerned, you, you would do it and you're meditating it. And if you thought you could, get so a lot of Christians watch pornography and nobody knows it. And they go to church two times a week and smile. And I said, But they're bound by lust and perversion. And they add hypocrisy to it by covering it up. And don't deal with it, okay? So sin came and darkness, and the law revealed it. The law revealed that sin and manifested it to make it clear. The law exposed fallen man's sin to him and what power it had, yet it brought no deliverance. So sacrifice and ritual and commands allow the Lord to put off certain things and to wink at them and not require certain things at that time. If you do these things then I'll my blood will cover this for now, and we'll just work with this. So that's what he was doing. But one day he has to deal with the literal sin, and he did with Christ on the cross. So it merely covered and kept them from God's immediate wrath and judgment, and that God could show mercy on them and be long-suffering. Now when God appeared to Moses, and Moses wanted to see the full glory, and he couldn't. He said, you can't. No man can see that live. But he said he caused all of his goodness to pass before him. And he revealed to him, he said, I'm gracious and loving kindness. I am merciful, he said. And then right at the end, what does he say? He said, but by no means clearing the guilty. He wants you to know, oh, I can be gracious, but I can't clear the guilty if justice hasn't been appeased. So, See, and he was speaking under the law. He said, I'm gracious and long-suffering. Well, we see that. He looked for ways and he found ways to deal with them under that covenant until he brought the new covenant. And Moses saw him in a way, and it was revealed to him. He would say, but you can't see me the way you want to. Only angels can see me face to face. He's not talking about just his literal face. He's talking about a revelation. Who, he said no living man could experience it because he's got sin in his nature and it would terrorize. And when Peter saw the catch of fish and he understood that Jesus, who he really was, it said, he, he said, depart from me, Lord, I'm a wicked man. He All of a sudden, he saw the holiness of Christ and it scared him. And the lord said but you're going to be fishers of men i'm going i'll deal with you (laughs) and he did okay so that's what the law does it exposes and magnifies and sometimes we see something oh i didn't think it was that bad but it was that bad okay and so that was the purpose okay verse 9 i was once alive apart from the law that's before the law came uh, before the law revealed to me he said, I was okay. I didn't, I was ignorant. I didn't know it was born. So it didn't bother me. See, that's what he means I was alive without it. But then the commandment came, and sin became alive, and I died. It said, You're a sinner. Look what you've done. And you know what sin's consequence is is death. So see, all of a sudden he saw that. So that's what he's telling you. That was before the law. Once alive without the law, before I knew the law the conscience even, before the law did that to him. But he came and exposed it. He used the law to expose it. And a lot of times the accusations and the stirring up is not only God's truth, but the demon, they enter in and try to promote wickedness and try to, and then when a man sees he's guilty of it, then the demon tries to tell him, Oh, you're not that bad. You don't have to worry about it. looking around, everybody's as bad as you are. The demon don't tell you, but i by you around. You's going to hell because they're wicked. They don't tell you that part. They say, "Well, you're as good as they are." We we'll find out they aren't. So the verse ten says, "And this commandment and the law and Thou shalt not covet." He was using that as an example, which was to result in life. It was a tell me how to live right. If you don't, if you're not covetous, then you're good, and you do that, you'll be blessed by God. He said it meant to bring me life. But it reproved the result of death for me. It told me what it expected, but I was in sin, so I couldn't produce what it wanted, and it couldn't help me. That side could not help me. That was total justice and holiness. But that is not all God is. See, that's just one side. So he is loving and kind and bad. So in God's nature, He had to find a way. He had to because of his love. People said, well, he's sovereign. I said, well, no, you're not taking the whole picture. Soon as Adam and Eve sinned, he started making provisions. He had to plan and effect. See? His love said, well, I'll have to do something about it. Oh, he temporarily punished them, and they reaped from it, but they didn't get the full penalty. And he said, I'll deal with it. And so he immediately found a way to do something good for them. So God is just and holy, and by no means clearing the guilty, but he's loving kindness and gracious and compassionate. He looks like, And that's why Jesus said, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And the world lies the wickedness, and the wrath of God is he's going to judge them, and he's angry with them, but he has goodwill toward them, and he's offering them a peace treaty. And he said, I'll, I'll show you a way out. And Jesus, uh, the scripture says that he that believed not on the Son, and that believe means to obey and follow too, he said the wrath of God remains on him. Well, he's the same one and it said that God loved him and gave the, his Son for him. Well, his love was benevolence. It was not a covenant love. It's a difference. He can love the wicked world, the wicked in the world, the wicked person until they drop dead. He can still extend mercy and grace. But judgments go come into play if they don't respond. And so it's the grace of God that is his love, his loving kindness. And so God has to find a way because of who he is. He can't just save people and put them to hell a thousand years before they're born, because I just don't like this person. I just think I'll send them. To- they make God to be a devil, and they're going to hell for it, misrepresenting God. Uh, let's stop here at verse 10. We'll go from there next time. Lord, in Jesus' name, give us wisdom. Help us see the practicality of your word and not see all of the complications. Peter said that Paul taught a lot of things that were hard to understand and that the ignorant and unspiritual stumble to their own day, but they don't have to remain ignorant and unspiritual. They can be enlightened if they want to. Give us wisdom in Jesus' name. Amen.